Welcome to the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow, Baseball Lifer in Residence. How you doing? I hope it's been a good few weeks. I took a couple of weeks off for the holidays. Then last week I didn't feel too well, so here we are now. The topic for this show is going to be one of my idols. I've got a couple of broadcast idols. One of them is Howard Cosell. He made his fame more in boxing than in baseball. But the subject today is going to be Bob Murphy. And he broadcast for the Mets from their inception in 1962 until his retirement in 2003. And he'd had a career for himself before that. Interestingly enough, from when Bob Murphy broke into the majors, in 1954 until 1978, when his partner, Lindsey Nelson, left the Mets to go to the Giants, every broadcast partner that Bob Murphy had worked with went to Cooperstown, as Murphy himself did in 1994. Murphy worked with Kurt Gowdy in Boston, who was elected to Cooperstown in 1984, Murphy then moved to Baltimore and broadcast with the Orioles, where Herb Carneal was by his side. Herb received the Broadcasting Award, the Ford C. Frick Award, in 1996, two years after Bob Murphy got his. And then from Baltimore, it was on to New York for Bob Murphy, where he would work with Ralph Kiner and Lindsey Nelson. All three of those are in the Hall of Fame. During the podcast today, we're going to hear the earliest piece of Bob Murphy footage that I know of that exists from 1959, the Red Sox against the Yankees. Then we'll listen to a highlight from September 24th, 1969, when the Mets clinched the Eastern Division against the Cardinals, and then we'll hear an interview that I did with Bob Murphy in May of 1994, an interview I was able to broadcast on our pregame show on July 31st, 1994. I was in AA with the New Britain Red Sox at that time. We had a game on that day, the 31st of July, and that was the day Bob Murphy would be inducted into Cooperstown. And so I wanted to run that interview on that day. And that's the interview that you'll hear. But we'll start off with the earliest known recording by Bob Murphy from his final year in Boston in 1959, the Red Sox against the New York Yankees. Bobby Avila, the on-deck batter, and then Vic Wirtz. Turley pacing himself and working very deliberately. Now the pitch. And it's popped up on the left side of the diamond, a shallow left field. Out goes Lopez, out goes McDougal. McDougal drops the ball, breaking for second is Budden. Nobody covering the bag there, and Budden reaches second. 
Yankees had plenty of time to get a force play at second base after McDougal dropped the pop-up in left field. But Lopez had gone after it. Richardson saw third base left open. Turley had not gone over to cover third, and he broke for third. He was caught midway between second and third, and as a result, Button had clear sailing into second base. It's an error charged against Gil McDougal, and the Red Sox have runners on first and second. Bobby Avila stepping up. One man out, runners on first and second. Red Sox two, New York nothing. We're in the last half of the third inning. Both Red Sox runs coming in the second on home runs by Vic Wirtz and Ted Williams. Fastballer Bob Turley on the mound for the Yankees. Again, taking a lot of time, thinking it out carefully. As he studies the sign from Elston Howard. Budden takes a lead at second, Keo at first. They're holding up the pitch. A high drive hit the left side by Bobby Avila toward the wall. It is gone, a home run. Bobby Avila cracks a 3-2 pitch for a three-run homer. The drive just cleared the wall in left center and scooted into the net. For Avila, his second home run of the year, and the Red Sox are out in front 5 to nothing. So we heard Bob Murphy from his final year in Boston in 1959. He spent a couple of years with the Baltimore Orioles. None of that footage exists. And then he went to the New York Mets, and there's a tremendous amount of New York Mets baseball games out there. I'm going to let you listen to the game where the New York Mets clinched the Eastern Division, the National League playoff games, the recordings aren't in very good shape. And then when the World Series came around, Bob Murphy did not get to broadcast it. He talks about that some during the interview that we're going to play a little bit later on. So... This is from September 24th, 1969. Bob Murphy describes the way the Mets clinch the National League East. It's two and two on Joe Torre with one out in the ninth. The pitch by Gentry is fouled out of play behind the third base dugout to the cross. Everybody right on the edge of their seat. But Cleon Jones sets a track record getting to that dugout from left field where that final out is made. Gentry working hard here against Joe Torre. Now in the set position, here's the pitch. Ground ball, hit the shortstop. Pulls from the white, there's one. First base, ball three. The next win. on the field. Fans are pouring out of the field. The ball players trying to get to the dugout. A 6-4-3 double play, and it's all over. Congratulations to Gil Hodges, the coaches and the ball players. What a year. It's hard to believe. The Mets are on their way into the clubhouse. Final score. The New York Mets 6 and the St. Louis Cardinals nothing. 
He knocked Steve Carlton out in the first inning. Don Clendenin hit a three-run homer. Ed Charles hit a two-run homer. Later in the game, Clendenin hit another home run. And Gary Gentry, the rookie right-hander from Phoenix, Arizona, pitched a marvelous four-hit shutout. Thousands and thousands of fans are out on the playing field. Banners are being paraded. You could not only hear the roar of the 50-odd thousand at Chase Stadium that night, you could even hear some firecrackers going off. On the night the Mets beat the Cardinals to clinch the Eastern Division, they would go on and beat the Braves and then take the World Series over the heavily favored Baltimore Orioles. You're listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast, where I'm been talking about and sharing some highlights of Bob Murphy, one of my broadcasting idols. Howard Cosell was another one. Bob Murphy was absolutely the anti-Howard Cosell. He didn't have the rough edges that Howard Cosell had. He liked it when the Mets won, but he wasn't the blatant homer that Harry Carey was in St. Louis or later in Chicago. And Murphy never criticized the players the way Harry Carey did and the way Cosell did when Howard used to do the pregame show for the Mets. In just a minute now, you'll be able to hear the interview I did with Bob Murphy on July 31st, 1994. We played that on our pregame show. It was a recorded interview I had done by telephone in May of that year. And we played it that day because that was the day Bob Murphy was put into Cooperstown, into baseball's Hall of Fame. We're going to head right to our clubhouse chat because, you know, on the rare occasions that somebody from the New York Mets radio team gets interviewed on to the fan, shall we say, or another sports radio station, it isn't Bob Murphy, their main voice. It's Gary Cohen they bring out. But this time, for our clubhouse chat, on the very day that Cooperstown calls Mr. Murphy, we are able to talk to Bob Murphy. Bob, this is certainly a great pleasure for me. John, I'm delighted to hear from you. I hope things are going well with you. Let's talk about your background. I'd like to know how you got started in the baseball broadcasting business. Well, I think the same way that many young people start in the business today, Don. I went after uh, I was discharged from the Marine Corps following World War II. I went to the University of Tulsa and enrolled in broadcast journalism. And I was fortunate the school had a radio station on campus. And in, in those days, there were not too many people aspiring to be sports broadcasters, so I immediately got to do work on the campus station, uh, doing Tulsa University football and things like that. And from that, I started minor league baseball, and uh, it's been building ever since. Where were some of the stops you made in the minor leagues before you got your first big break? Well, my first commercial radio job was uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma, a town about 45,000 people, about 60 miles from my hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, doing Class C Western Association baseball. And my second job was Tulsa in the Texas League, where I stayed for a year. And in 49, Kurt Gowdy left his job at Oklahoma City to join Mel Allen in New York, and I took Kurt's old job at Oklahoma City. And I stayed there for five years. And then I joined, uh, Kurt invited me to join him doing Red Sox baseball, so I went to Boston. 
Now, Boston is known for being rough on their athletes, and they have even been rough on their broadcasters. No, How? no, that, that wasn't true at all. That's what I wanted to know. How was a man from Oklahoma received in Boston? Well, they thought I had a pretty funny Southwestern accent, but they, they were tolerant of me. They put up with me. And with Kurt Gowdy's help, I worked hard to uh, smooth out as a broadcaster and worked hard to get rid of some of my local language and remove the accent. And, uh, no, they were very, very patient with me and very tolerant. Would you say that Kurt is one of the big influences that you've had? And what, who were some of the other people who influenced your broadcasting? Uh, Kurt had an awful lot to do with it. Uh, Kurt was such an outstanding broadcaster, but more than that, he was a good teacher. And if I just paid attention and listened and... Uh, to Kurt, I learned an awful lot from him, and it helped me tremendously. When I left Kurt after six years in Boston, uh, I, I left to go to Baltimore and have my own crew. So Kurt is the one who really got me off the ground and got me going. And who did you work with down in Baltimore? I had a terrific partner there, a guy named Herb Carneal, who does the Minnesota Twins. As a matter of fact, Herb has been in Minnesota the same number of years that I've been in New York, which adds up to about 33. When it apparent that there was going to be a baseball team in New York. I'm sure there were just tons of applications made, and I'd like to know how the team that they wound up with, yourself, Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kiner, how they were selected. Well, a man, a wonderful guy by the name of Norm Barney, who was with J. Walter Thompson. Uh, J. Walter Thompson had the Rheingold Beer account, and Rheingold bought the rights to the Mets when they first came into the National League. And it was Norm's responsibility to put the team together. He would meet in Manhattan with George Weiss, the general manager, and Mrs. Payson, the owner of the New York Mets. And uh, their idea was they wanted one member of the trio to have play-by-play -play experience in the big leagues on a day-by-day -day basis. And I, uh, I was selected for that role. They wanted somebody with a nationally known, and that was Lindsey Nelson, known across the country for his football work. And they wanted a former National League star, and that became Ralph Kiner. At the time, was there something that particularly drove you, Bob Murphy, to leave Baltimore, which you had just begun at, to join the brand new expansion New York Mets? Was there something special in as you saw it? Well, I think it's something special to broadcast baseball in New York. Uh, when I was in the minor leagues, my goal was to get to the major leagues. And once I got to the major leagues, my, my ho hope was that someday I would broadcast baseball in New York. So it was a dream come true for me. Now, the New York Mets, everyone knew right from the beginning, was going to be a team that wouldn't have a lot of success. You know, they were an expansion team. And I'm curious how you and the other members of the broadcast team were able to be as entertaining as you were with a team that struggled as much as the early Mets did. Well, that wasn't a problem at all, Don, because New York was just delighted to have National League Baseball back. The National League had been out of town for several years. And uh, they opened the, uh, the, the welcome of the ball club with open arms. They were very receptive. They were very understanding. And Casey Stingle was at the helm of the ball club, and that helped tremendously because everybody concerned with the media, both the written word and the electronic word, just followed Casey Stingle almost reverently. They liked him so very much. So it was the easiest thing in the world doing Mets baseball in those early days. When they got better and ultimately went to the first two World Series, 1969 and 1973, did you have a role to play in those two World Series? We've heard Ralph Kiner from the old radio broadcasts, and Lindsey Nelson gets reruns once in a while on television when they show those games. Uh, did you have a role? Uh, I did not have a role in 69, no. I had a role in 73 and again in 86 and 88, but uh, 
No roll at all at 69. Was that a matter of drawing straws, or did someone make a conscious decision? No, actually, I was selected to work in the World Series, and Don Grant, who was the chairman of the board at that time, uh, withdrew my name. He did not want me considered for that. He'd be, he, we were not the best of friends. Then in 1986, the Mets radio network was able to carry the World Series, and it had to be a great thrill for you being behind the microphone at that time. Oh, it was a marvelous thrill. You can imagine how exciting it is to do a World Series game. It was a, a highlight for me. There's no doubt about that. What I've always been impressed by is that although you actually had a minor stroke in the time of that playoff and World Series, you fought back and recovered from that and were able to continue and carry on. Well, I was very fortunate. I dodged a bullet on that. It wasn't actually it wasn't a stroke. It's what they call a TIA. It, it, it you react like it's a stroke, but fortunately, it's not. And within 24 hours, everything was perfect again. I'm curious about the changes that you've seen in not only the game of baseball, but the way baseball is announced. Would you care to comment on that? It has. There have been changes in baseball. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there's always change in everything. That's a, a part of life. Uh, I've, I haven't found. Uh, I haven't been at odds with any of the changes that have been made. I find the game is still a wonderful game and it's easy to broadcast today as it was 20 years ago. Do you think more conversation can take place nowadays between the announcers than perhaps at the early part of your career? No. As a matter of fact, uh, when I went to Boston, the first thing Kurt Gotti told me was, he's, it, it's, it's, a, "It's a personal choice." Some broadcasters, like Ben Scully, prefer a monologue-type broadcast. Other broadcasters, like Kurt Gowdy, encourage uh, by-play with, the, with, his, with his partner. And the thing Gowdy said to me when I first got there 41 years ago was, hey, we're just two guys at the ballpark having, watching the game and having a good time and talking about it with each other. So Kurt was strong on that sort of thing. Uh, and as I say, other announcers prefer to do it uh, on their own. We're speaking with Bob Murphy, and we're broadcasting this on the very day that Bob Murphy is being inducted into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. And the question, Mr. Murphy, is what does the induction that you're going through, what does that mean to you? Well, I think it's uh, the finest hour that I have known in broadcasting, having the privilege of being on that stage with so many wonderful Hall of Famers. I find that just awesome, and getting the Ford C. Frick Award and joining my peers of the broadcast, baseball broadcasting business, uh, it's just the finest moment I've had so far. I just, I, I'm overwhelmed by the whole idea. Aside from the game of baseball, I personally have heard you do a handful of football games. I'd like to know what other experience you've had besides the baseball that you're known for. Well, for many years, I was a sports broadcaster of the year around, just like Kurt Gowdy and so many other people. I would do baseball go from baseball to football to basketball and back to baseball again. It was a year-round job. It was not until recent years when I reached the age and with my family all grown and out on their own that I could pull back a little bit. So the first thing I did was give up basketball, and then a few years later I stopped doing football. Would you, would you care to comment some on maybe some difficult circumstances in which you worked early on, some, some things that you had to overcome, some very tough experiences you might have had? Oh, I, I really can't uh, think of anything off the top of my hat uh, that would be worth mentioning. I think everybody struggles when they first start out of this business, and you, le you learn from making your mistakes, and uh, there's just no substitute for experience in broadcasting sports. The more you can do, the better work you're going to do. And what do you consider some of your great highlights, some of your most memorable moments? 
Well, the 69 season with the New York Mets was a marvelous experience. The late surge of the 73 team, the postseason play of the 86 Mets uh, was almost breathtaking. It was so exciting. So those have been huge and wonderful years for me. Talking with Bob Murphy for so many years, voice of the New York Mets, what would you say to the young person coming up today wanting to get into the broadcasting business? It's probably not as easy as it once was because so many of the jobs are now given to former athletes. And uh, the former athlete is a natural as far as television is concerned. They don't take that easily to radio. Uh, I would say to young guys, if they haven't been in professional sports, if they haven't been a player, and they want to be a professional broadcaster, it can still be done. But it just requires a lot of hard work, and it requires some patience. You have to be willing to work in the minor leagues for any number of years until there's finally an opening for you at the big league level. But I wouldn't say don't try it. What the heck, if you think you can do it, try it. We've been speaking with Bob Murphy, and sir, it has been, I would have to say, an honor. Don, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. It's always good to hear from you. I'm going to add to what we've been listening to just now, the interview I did with Bob Murphy in 1994. One famous Bob Murphy moment that I just didn't quite have the nerve to bring up was an event that happened in 1990. And it's hysterical because it's so unmurphy like if you will. The Mets were ahead in either the ninth or tenth inning. I don't recall which. But they were ahead by a score of 10 to 3 against the Phillies in Philadelphia at Vet Stadium on that AstroTurf they used to have. And in the bottom of that inning, bottom of the either the ninth or the tenth, with the score ten to three, the Phillies put up seven hits and a walk, and every one of those hits was either a blooper or a bleeder on that astroturf, a grounder that stuck through the infield or at little Texas League fly ball. Finally, with the score ten to nine Mets, they ended the inning, they ended the game, and Bob Murphy the most kind, gentle broadcaster I could name, actually said, they win the damn thing. <laughs> and for him to say that was astonishing. His fans still talk about that 30 years later. During our interview, I couldn't bring myself to mention that particular game. And another take I want to add, he said that in 1994, when we did the interview, the game hadn't changed all that much since the 1950s when he broke in. Now, it's 2023. I left baseball at the end of the 2002 season. And I think in the two decades since, the changes have been obvious and the changes have not been positive. The kind of the stats, the analytics, they call them have added so much density to the broadcast that the game would be next to impossible for me to broadcast in in the form that it takes now. So we've had a chance here to listen to Bob Murphy from 1959 with the Red Sox, from the 69 Mets, and an interview I did with him in 19. 19- 
94. And believe me, I would have let you hear some of the 86 World Series that he talked so highly of. All of that stuff is under copyright from the 80s on, so I can't use that kind of material on this podcast. If you want to give me a topic to discuss on another Baseball Lifer podcast, by all means, send me an email. Send it to don at baseballlifer.com. Again, that's my first name, don at baseballlifer.com. I'll be back with you next Friday. Take care.